my message today, it is entitled Forerunner. Everybody say Forerunner. Forerunner. A forerunner is a person who goes or is sent in advance to announce the coming of someone or something. Yeah, you ever been to a wedding? And nowadays it's real cute. You see a little kid, most times a little boy in a tuxedo, and he has that little sign that he precedes the bride that says, the bride is coming. You ever seen that at a wedding? You guys, it's May. It's wedding season. Start going to some weddings and, 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 and look for that. We're talking about forerunner. A forerunner, um, they bring awareness. They bring understanding um, to others of the times that we're living in. Forerunners, they prepare the way of the Lord by preparing people to respond rightly to Jesus. The only right way to respond to Jesus is to surrender your life to him. Amen. Forerunners, they will have the urgency of the hour to fulfill the Great Commission. They will help people into fellowship with God. It's essentially the Great Commission um, closely linked and closely tied in to the second coming of Jesus. The Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? That's, that's the Great Commission. Forerunners, they carry, um, essentially, it's a ministry of reconciliation. They provoke people to be joined to God, and the ministry of the forerunner it is not limited to a specific vocation. It's businessmen and women. It's entrepreneurs. It's doctors. It's lawyers. It's musicians. It's artists. It's custodians. It's, it's parents. It's dads. It's moms. In fact, I believe that we will see that the forerunner ministry will predominantly be effective through moms, effective through dads. Forerunner ministry, it will happen right around the dinner table. It's what I believe. There is no denying that America has entered a a time of judgment, right? There is no denying that um, we are, many, I should say, are experiencing great pressure. Pressure, what do you mean, Joshua? I mean, gas prices are high. I mean, shelves um, at the grocery store are bare, they're empty. Um, it's really hard to come across baby formula these days. Pressure. Many are experiencing great pressure. But the prophet Joel, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, he prophesied a move of God that I believe that we are on the verge of stepping into. I'm talking about one of the greatest harvests of souls that our nation, maybe even the world, has ever seen. You not excited about that. Um, I don't know about you. I know that y'all are a praying people, but I know for me here lately, when, I, when, when I'm spending time with the Lord, and I always pray for the lost, uh, but I can really feel God's ache for the lost. I'm talking praying for the lost and with tears. Um, we're on the verge of walking into this thing. This is Joel 2.28. And um, I believe that God wants to use you to prepare people for Jesus' return. So we're going to start off in Matthew uh, 25. But here's what you need to know about Matthew 25. In order to really get the full understanding of Matthew 25, you have to read Matthew 24. What happens in Matthew 24, Joshua? I'm so glad you asked. Y'all are a great class. Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, how will we know uh, when the end will be? What will the end be like? And in Matthew 24, Jesus begins to outline um, 
activities and events that will happen in the world prior to him coming. Amen, if you're with me. I won't make you go to Matthew 24, but if you were to go back, because I know all of y'all are taking notes because you want to be great in the ministry of the forerunner. Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14, Jesus highlights that there will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. He says there will be nation against nation. There will be kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. There will be persecution for your faith. How many know that martyrdom is real? Many will be offended at the Lord and false prophets, they will rise up. Iniquity will abound and the love of many will grow cold. I have a question for you. Are all of those things happening? I don't mean one. I don't mean three. I mean all. All of those things are happening. We don't know exactly when the Lord is returning. The Bible says that no man knows the day nor the hour, only the Father. But we do know the season. I'm telling y'all. I'm telling y'all. God is so good. He's so merciful. He's so gracious that he told us, this is what you're going to see. This is what you're going to hear about. So we know we're close. We're in the season. So Matthew 25, this is what I want to read. Verse one. I'll read a lot from the Amplified Classic today, that as well as the New King James Version. But verse one. So in light of what I just said in Matthew 24, he says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. They were thoughtless. They were without forethought. And five were wise. They were sensible, intelligent, and prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take any extra oil with them. Say oil. But the wise took flasks of oil along with them, also with their lamps. While the bridegroom lingered and was slow in coming, they all began nodding their heads and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Behold the bridegroom, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and put their own lamps in order. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, there will not be enough for us and for you. Go instead to the dealers and buy for yourselves. But while they were going away to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were prepared, say prepared, they went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he replied, I solemnly declare to you, I do not know you. I am not acquainted with you. Watch, therefore, give strict attention and be cautious and active, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. I know you've heard this before, so, and this, this isn't even really the point of my message, but I feel like I can't really get to the ministry of the forerunner without going through um, this passage. So we see the foolish versions, we see the wise versions. The foolish versions and the wise versions, they have lamps, they have oil, but the foolish versions, they don't have any extra oil. So what does a foolish version look like today other than a fool, wise, unwise, unintelligent? These are people who are living only for the moment, only for the here, only for the now. These are people who are not living with eternity in mind. Does that make sense what I'm saying? The wise, they have oil. These are, these are people who um, they, they just aren't uh, living for the here and now. But these are people that got oil in their lamp because they are prepared for the bridegroom. Somebody said, who's the bridegroom? Hunt your neighbor say he's talking about Jesus. 
Come on, be obedient. Hunt your neighbor. He's talking about Jesus. The wise, they are, they are concerned with being with him for eternity. That is being with him now. That is being with him forever. They have lamps. They have extra oil. Jesus is their pursuit, and the end result of their preparation will be eternity with Jesus. What's he talking about? Well, I just said in Matthew 25, they didn't have any oil, and they were left out. The door was shut to them. Let me go a little deeper. They all have, they both have lamps. Both sets have lamps. Now, this lamp can be likened to your profession of faith. What do I mean by your profession of faith? You know, when that, that day you was in church and you didn't want to go to hell, so you, you raise your hand and you pray to prayer. You said, I believe that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. I believe that he lived a perfect life and that he did not sin and that he died on the cross for my sins and he raised three days later. Please, please, please don't see me. That's the profession of faith. And many people believe that, what I just said. Here in the South, it's more of a cultural thing anyway to say, I, I believe in Jesus. I go, I go to my grandmama in them church. They both sets had lamps. But the oil is closeness to God. The oil is fellowship with God. The oil is proximity to him. It's, it's daily time in his word. It's daily time in prayer. It's being with other believers. It's coming to church. It's doing the things that believers should be doing. And it's how they're doing those things. It's life lived in obedience to Jesus. Does that, does that make sense? You see, we think because you have a lamp that you have light. No, 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 no. We just read that in order to have light, you have to have oil. The lamp without oil is useless. You have to have illumination in the dark. I just read that when the bridegroom tarried, right, at midnight, right? And so what we see is that there are many people who are content with the profession of their faith, but not with the lifestyle that accompanies the thing that they professed. We see that people don't want to have oil. See, a lot of times we look at Matthew 24 and we say, okay, I read that check. I got it. Let me go stock up on toilet paper and food. You should have those things. That's wise. I got a lot of it. I do. I'm not, I'm not stupid. I got a lot of it. But those things will prepare you for catastrophe. Those things will prepare you, prepare you for a storm when your power don't come on and it takes uh, Duke Energy a little bit long to fill it up. So those things are good. We don't know what all will, it will look like when Jesus comes. But if you want to go in with him, you need oil. You need oil. Let me, let me, let's go a little deeper. See, in the marriage, Jewish marriage customs, here's, here's what that looks like. There will be a, an engagement, a betrothal, if you would, of um, a bridegroom and a bride. And the bridegroom would go away to his father's house, maybe his land, to prepare a place, to build a house, perhaps. The bride herself would spend her time getting ready. That's us. We're the bride. Hunt your neighbor. Say, he's talking about me now. 
And so the job that we're supposed to be doing is getting ready. And nobody knows when the bridegroom is going to come. Not even the bridegroom knows when he's going to come. The father shows up and he looks at what the son has prepared and he goes, not a little bit more. It needs a little bit more work. And so he keeps working. Then he comes back and he says, no, do it a little bit more. It needs a little bit more work. And then he comes back and he goes, you ready? Go get your bride. Go get your bride. Jewish marriage customs, they would come in the night. So we know the season, but we, I'm engaged. We know the season, but we don't know exactly when the bridegroom's going to show up. And so what would happen is the bridegroom would come and a friend would precede him. A forerunner would precede him and say, he's coming, right? Verse six of, of, of chapter 25. This is where this whole message came from. I read this and I heard the Lord speak to me. But at midnight, there was a shout Behold the bridegroom. Go out to meet him. I read that and I heard the Lord says, we need more forerunners. We need more friends of the bridegroom to prepare others that he's coming. Now watch this. Verse seven. Then all those virgins got up and put their own lamps in order. Y'all missed it. So there was a shout and then there was a response. There was a warning and then there was action. It's not midnight yet, y'all. If it were midnight, Jesus would be here. It's not midnight yet, but it is dark. The Lord wants people who have an understanding of the times and seasons to cry out. He wants voices to cry out. He wants forerunners, the voice of the forerunner. It will carry the ache of God in his or her heart. The voice, this voice that, the God, is look, that God is looking for, it has the ability to provoke people to get up to put their lamps in order. And so in a way, that's why I'm standing in front of you today, because there might be some of you that my voice can provoke to get up and to put your lamps in order. The best example of a forerunner is John the Baptist. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, John the Baptist today. If you would, go with me to Luke chapter 1. All that was just my introduction. We're going somewhere. Here we go. I'm going to move fast now. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 1. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this prophecy says that John the Baptist would be great in the sight of the Lord. Really, they're just talking about humility. Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom are those that serve. Amen. John was great because he was humble. He was a servant. John, or Jesus said that, um, I just said it, you want to be great? You got to serve. But John, on, on top of that, he embodied the message and that it wasn't just, just in him doing for the Lord or doing for people. Listen, he lived it. He lived in isolation in the desert. He ate honey and he ate locusts. He wore camel's hair. I bet you he stank. <laughs> he was lowly. Listen. He forsook the luxuries, the legitimate pleasures of the world to be what the Lord had purposed for him to be. I have a question for you. Are you quick to serve others? 
This is just kind of what humility and servanthood looks like. Are you quick to be last? You always got to have the first word and the last word, all the words. Listen, he was great in the sight of the Lord because he was humble. Number two, it said he drank neither wine nor strong drink. This is pointing to the fact that he, he holiness, purity. He was set apart to be used by God. And we're living in a time where many people want to be used by God, but many, many refuse to remain separate for his use. We want the anointing, but we don't know what it costs. We're not willing to pay the price. Again, camel's hair, honey, locusts, isolation, stank. Recently, I was just reading, um, just spending my morning time with the Lord, and I ran across Psalm 101, verse 3, and it says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And it just hit me. Like, you know what? Now is the time to be all in. Now is like, you said, Joshua, yeah, we've always been. I mean, like, listen, lower still. I went and told my wife, I said, listen, we got one more season of The Walking Dead to watch, and I can't do it. <laughs> she said, all right, I'll tell you how it was. But <laughs> <laughs> but, we're, but, we're, but, but, but the Lord is probably talking to even you about things, what you're watching, what you're listening to. Who you're hanging around. All right, y'all, y'all need a visual? Who like Kool-Aid? I'm going to talk to this side of the room. The safe side of the room. Kool-Aid. You, once you start putting a little bit of that red Kool-Aid, or, it's red. Once you start putting it in the water, you can't unmix it. You can't unseparate it. It's done. You might not have even stirred it up yet, but it's done. You can't go back and say, oh, I made a mistake. You, you, you can't undo it. Now, with God, all things are possible. But I'm telling you, we have to come out of mixture. We have to be separated. We have to be consecrated. We have to be holy. He said, be holy, for I am holy. We like the idea of holiness. But again, who wants to come out from among them? This is why this is why the Lord told um, the Israelites. He said, when you go over into the land that I'm going to give you, he said, get all of the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Hebatites, all the ites. Get them out because I don't want you to take their wives and marry them. And I don't want you to start worshiping their gods. I know we say, well, I can watch this and I won't compromise. I can talk about this with this person and I won't gossip. I'm just going to sit there and be a a recycling bin for all their information. But the point I'm trying to make is it costs something. It costs even being misunderstood to be holy. And this is what we have to be if we're going to walk in this ministry or forerunner. Say amen. Amen. Thirdly, it says he will be filled with the spirit. And that word filled there is the same word in Acts 2, 4, when they said, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them Utterance. So we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're talking about. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In addition to a prayer language, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it brings might. It brings 
power. It brings strength. And we need, like never before, boldness. We need boldness if we're going to be Jesus's witnesses in the earth. Y'all okay? Y'all with me? We're talking about the forerunner. I know it's a lot. Turn the fire hose on this morning and we just going. And it said that John, he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah for this purpose. This is what is going to come on the body of Christ. It's going to come on you if you choose to walk into it for this purpose, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. We're talking about restoration, y'all, of families. Y'all not excited about that. We're talking about prodigals coming home. He said it's going to be to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. We're talking about bringing the unbelieving into right relationship with Jesus. And he says, and to make a people prepared for the Lord. We are talking about discipleship. You. Yeah, you can disciple somebody. Yeah, you can bring restoration to your family, to your cousins, to your aunts, to your brothers, your sisters, your children. You, he wants to use you to do it. Somebody said, he wants to use me? He wants to use you. The spirit and the power of Elijah. I won't talk a lot about Elijah, but uh, let's start with the power, just because it's just real quick. The power, Elijah walked in mighty miracles. He called down fire. He commanded that it not rain for three and a half years. Then he commanded that it would rain uh, and um, just mighty, mighty in miracles. That's, that's the power. But it says John walked in the spirit and power of Elijah. Well, the spirit refers to his nature. It refers to his character. And Elijah, he was non-compromising. There was a showdown that happened in First King between him and the prophets of Baal. And he told the, the, the people standing around, the Israelites, he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? He was uncompromising. How about you? Like, do you just not say anything to your children um, when they say, do, wear certain things? Like when people come in your house, like in, in your house, and they blaspheme the name of the Lord, like do you just, well, that's just where they are, and we'll go pray for them. Uncompromising. How long? And then the other thing was he was unselfish. Elijah had a disciple. His name was Elisha. And he taught him everything he knew. He, he, he taught him everything he knew. He didn't make Elisha figure it out all by himself. But here's the thing I like about Elisha. He wasn't, I'm talking to the younger folk in here. He wasn't so quick to just push Elijah out of the way. Say, let me have it. Let me go raise the dead. He was willing to pour hands and to water on the hands of Elijah to serve him for as long as it took. And, and check this out. It says that he wanted a double portion of his spirit. Again, spirit talks about his nature. It talks about his, his character. He didn't say, I don't, I, want, I don't want a double portion of your power. I want a double portion of your spirit. This is a day for believers to have, listen, the character to match the anointing. My dad used to say, that um, talent could only take you but so far. But he says character can take you places that your talent never could. Your character will keep you in places that your talent can never keep you. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Earlier, I mentioned that our nation is in judgment. And it, it, could it be that it's because, not y'all, I love y'all, but the church is lacking in character, integrity, Humility, the fear of the Lord. I mean, like, do you just treat things that are of God like they're common? Like, could, could it be 
I don't know. Probably. Ask yourself this. Would someone know that I am a believer by how I act? Integrity. Let's let's go further. Let's go to Luke chapter three, verse two and three. And then I'll skip over to verse eight. It says, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. This was John's message, y'all. It was a message of repentance, a message of reconciliation. And that word repentance in the Greek, it means metanoia, which means change your mind. In other words, if you are going this way in your own way, following your own will, it means to stop, do a 180 degree turn and go after God's way to choose God and and to choose his will. And so the people that John was preaching to, they said, well, what does that look like? Like, what do we need to do? Let's go to verse eight. John says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, stop making excuses. You say, you say, I'm a believer. And so there should be some fruit from it is what John is saying. So verse 10. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to them, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed to you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. In other words, I'm going to sum it all up. He says, let what's happening on the inside make its way to the outside. He's saying you need to have integrity. He's saying you need to have honesty. He's saying you need to forgive others. You need to love others. You need to treat people right. You need to give of yourself. Listen, church, when you gave your yes to Jesus, when he gave you that lamp (laughs) in exchange, you didn't sign up for convenience. You didn't sign up for comfort. You signed up to do his will. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is, I'll say, it is no longer, no, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives. Y'all all right? I'm talking, I'm talking. Okay, making y'all, okay. It's no longer I live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guess what? It's not about you anymore. It's not about me anymore. About two weeks, I was on my way into work after I dropped uh, one of my kids off at school, and I decided I was going to stop at Lowe's and pick up something. And I was in the home, home and garden section or whatever, and um, I was walking down the aisle, and I saw this guy come across the aisle this way, and he was looking. He was looking for something, looking for somebody, and I saw him make eye contact with me. Then I saw his eyes drop down to my chest, and I said, oh, God, it's over. He got me. See what happened? I have, y'all know those uh, worship team shirts we made a few years ago, Praise, worship, repeat. <laughs> when you wear these Christian T-shirts and people see them, be prepared to be a Christian. He walked back. He came on back. I said, God, he got me. He got me. 
And he said, hey, how are you? Um, I'm hungry. Can you feed me? And I said, yeah, um, let me get my stuff. Let me finish doing what I'm going to do. I'll meet you at the front of the store. And he said, great, I'll meet you up there. Yada, 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 yada. And um, long story short, I spent the majority of my day with this guy. I brought him to work with me. And then I pulled in Pastor Cameron with me. I said, come on, Pastor Cameron, empower us. And, um, and, and, we, and we spent the time. He was homeless and all that. And, we, and you know, I, I, bought him, I bought him breakfast this, uh, that morning. And, and, and Pastor Cameron made I don't know how many phone calls on behalf of this guy. The point is, we had stuff that we thought was a little bit more important. In, in, inconvenience. I'm like, I got this sermon coming up, and I just want to go in, just get in this thing. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to give you something for your sermon. You can sit right here with my man. We didn't, get, we didn't sign up for comfort. We didn't sign up for convenience. Okay, let me, let me just do a recap. Right now I'm talking about your character. Because that's going to be what's needed in order for you to operate effectively as a forerunner. Do you understand? Okay. Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we are to become messengers, we have to first conform to the message. This is why. I'm preaching the way I'm preaching this morning. We have to look like Jesus and not like the world. Somebody says, well, I don't know what that looks like. I'm going to show you. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the doings, practices of the flesh are clear. They're obvious. They are immorality, impurity, indecency. I'm going to take my time on them. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill temper, selfishness, divisions, dissensions, party spirit, that's factions, sex with peculiar opinions, heresies, that's, it's envy, it's drunkenness, it's carousing and the like. I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If all have sinned, listen, I'm not condemning anybody. All have sinned. Joshua has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if these things are active, if these things are controlling your behavior. You're not going <laughs> to. See, God's ache on this, man. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let alone be a messenger, a forerunner messenger. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work, I like this part, the work which his presence within accomplishes is love, it's joy, peace, patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law that can bring a charge. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, the Messiah, have crucified the flesh, the godless human nature with its passions and appetites and desires. If we live 
by the Holy Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If by the Holy Spirit we have our life in God, let us go forward walking in line, our conduct controlled by the Spirit. Let us not become vainglorious and self-conceited, competitive and challenging and provoking and irritating to one another, envying and being jealous of one another. We're talking about the fruit that bears repentance here. So Jesus says that you will know every tree by his fruit. You don't get oranges from an apple tree. You don't get bad fruit or rotten fruit or any different, different kind of fruit from a good tree. A good tree will bear good fruit. A, ba- a bad tree will bear bad fruit, if any fruit at all, right? And so when you gave your life to Jesus, what happened is when the Spirit of God came inside of you, you received the fruit of the Spirit in uh, seed form. I like how Pastor Mitch says it, in embryo form. You had to get that from his podcast. Check his podcast out. Embryo form. And so you said, no, it's, it's all form. No, you're a Christian and you still don't walk in love sometimes. So that's not right completely. You see what I'm saying? And, and so it's in you in seed form, but it has to be cultivated. It has to be mature. You think of a, a, a natural plant. What does it need? It needs the right environment. And what is the right environment? It's air. It's sun. It's, so, don't act like you ain't never planted nothing. It's, it's water. You need soil. It needs, it needs the right environment. If it does not have the right environment, that plant won't mature. It won't grow. It won't bear fruit. Likewise for you and I. That seed, that, that, that whatever, that thing on the inside of us, it needs to be cultivated in the right environment. What's the right environment? The word, prayer, fellowship with other believers. We're talking about coming to church. We're here Wednesdays at 7. We're here Sundays at 9 and 11. We have small groups for you. I'm talking about living and doing life with other believers. This is the right environment. This is the right environment. Amen? And one other thing, one other thought about that. You ever thought about an apple and what it has to do to grow? It's in the right environment, but what does it have to do to grow? Nothing. Remain. Abide. It has to stay in the right environment. You want to grow? You'll never grow by coming here once a quarter. You want to grow? You'll never grow by uh, only praying when you bless your food. God is great. God is good. You know, let us thank him for our food. You'll never grow. You have to remain in that right environment. Y'all all right with me? Yeah. Let's keep going. John chapter 1, verse 19. It says, now this is the testimony of John. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What did you what do you say about yourself? Here's what he said. Y'all ready? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent 
were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Jesus answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. This is John's confession. He knew what had been told of his birth, and he took that to task, and he prepared his whole life to be the forerunner for Jesus. He took the scroll of Isaiah, because they didn't have all 66 books, and he consumed it. He ate it. The scroll of Isaiah. He ate it. He ate it. And it wasn't just theological head knowledge. He ate it, and, and it got into him to the point where it got from his head, and it dropped to his heart, and then it consumed him. He found his identity in the word. He found how, we can only find our identity in the Lord, right? Right? And so, and so this is what he did. And so he read all of these prophecies in the book of Isaiah about the one who, was, he, who he was going to precede. And that's how he was able to say, look, there's one among you who's coming and he's going to baptize you in fire. I'm not even worthy to unstrap. Strap his sandals. In other words, if we are going, I'm going back to what I said before. If we are going to be the messenger, we have to be the message and we have to find who we are within these pages. Within these pages, he says his confession was, I am the voice. Voices, they speak with confidence. Voices, they speak with clarity. Voices, they speak with with uh, with boldness. Voices, they provoke people to action. Voices are not parrots. Parrots, they echo. And echoes, they speak of what they know nothing about. I just read this on Facebook the other day, so it must be true. That's, that's a parrot. I just saw this on the news the other day, so it, 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 must, it, it, it must be true. But on the other side of that, Pastor Mir challenged me with this, and I a thousand percent agree. Can voices even be trusted in today's uh, world? We got Christian leaders falling, immorality all over the place. You know, we got uh, prophetic voices in the in the nation, quote unquote, missing it. Well, how do you know what voice you can trust? How can you be a voice that somebody can trust? Your fruit. Trust the fruit. See, I believe that those closest to us, like our families, like our coworkers, will be the primary people that we get to speak to about being reconciled to God. We're, they'll be the primary people that we can sound the alarm. Hey, the bridegroom is coming, but your character, it will precede you. Your children will tell on you. Your character will be the proof that you know what and who you are talking about. Does that make sense? I can't say, hey, come here, Levi and Ryder and Cody, and let me lay hands on you and um, walk you through the scriptures. And they go, Daddy, when's the last time we've been in church? My character will precede me. There's now no condemnation to anybody who's in Christ Jesus. If we walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, just the rest of that verse. But see, your character is what will amplify your voice. Amen. Your words will fall on deaf ears if you don't have the character to back it up. I remember this time last year, it was like a week ago last year, 
I looked it up. Um, there's a guy I went to college with, and um, um, his story is that he fell away from the Lord. He felt he, he wasn't walking with the Lord when I knew him. But on on social media, I just felt like he was very mean to Christians, very very offensive. And I don't I don't go toe to toe with people on Facebook and stuff like that. It's pointless. But I did feel led to message him, and I said, "Hey, Max, hope you're well." His name's Ronnie, okay. <laughs> I hope you're doing. Hope you're doing well. I um, qu- question for you, like, what do you have against Christians? And um, that just began long, long, long text thread conversations, all that jazz. And um, I said, hey, you know, any of us going? You know, I'm planting seeds, just watering seeds, water, soil everywhere. I'm just throwing it, trying to trying to get him to to see what I'm saying. And I said, hey, man, um, do you mind if I just, if I pray for you? Like, just I mention your name to the Lord. And um, he says, normally when people, Christians, say that to me, I'll pray for you, it's received as a snooty, snotty, I'm better than you type of way. I'll pray for you. And he says, but I remember your character when we were in college. I would be love for for you to pray for me. Now, I don't know if Max Ronnie Michael is walking with the Lord today, but here's what I do know. About two weeks ago, I was on Facebook, and he, he said, he said um, that he had just survived a car accident, and somebody there knew the Lord. Somebody in the circle knew the Lord, and um, he promised them that he would go to church. You get on his comment, his news feed, and they just, you know, all his friends, his circle, the wrong environment. They're saying all the wrong things. But I was able to recommend, you know, back in Virginia, hey, check out these churches. Thank you. So we went from blaspheming God, mocking Christians. I'm going to check out church. But he wouldn't have received not, not my church suggestions, nor entertained that really long text conversation we had, had it not been for character. We need voices that are willing to cry out and provoke people. We need people that are full of character and that are willing to slow down like I did for my man last week, Pastor Cameron and I did. We need that. We need, God wants people that are willing again to have those conversations with family members. I know you tried talking to your sister. I know you tried talking to your aunt again, again. We got, we got to do it again. Even in our personal lives, we got to make sure that our character lines up. We got to make sure that we're living this message because he is coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. Here's what Jesus said about him in Matthew 11. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? What did you go out to see then? A man clothed in soft garments? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the houses of kings. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And more than a prophet. The Amplified says, one out of the common, more eminent, more remarkable and superior to a prophet. This 
is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. You shall make ready your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What did Jesus mean? He said a reed shaken in the wind. This means he wasn't moved by the culture. I know they're saying this. I know TikTok is doing this. I know the news media is saying this. And this is the new fad. This is a new trend. But these people aren't going to compromise. That's not what John the Baptist did. That's not what we're going to do. What do you mean by he wore soft raiment? Those people who wear they they live in king's house. These are people who are about influence, who are about the applause of men, the approval of men, the gaze of men. If you are so worried about man, you'll never do anything for God. And then he says, more than a prophet. I know that John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but he never called down fire. He never raised the dead. He never healed anybody of a headache. At least that's not what scripture records. What did John the Baptist do? Because he was greater than a prophet. He was more than a prophet. what Jesus did. His superpower was he turned people to God. That's what he did. He turned people to God. So you say, you know, well, I want to go out and evangelize and I don't have words of knowledge and I don't have the gifts of healing and not that. No, no, no. God wants people who can turn people. He wants people who have the, the character, the integrity, the humility, the love of God oozing out of them. To step forward so that they can be voices to turn people to God. And then on top of that, Jesus extends the invitation to you and I to exceed John the Baptist in greatness. What? Servanthood. Humility. Men, wash some dishes. Practice at home. She said, amen. <laughs> Women, pour your husband some sweet tea, some lemonade. So you work hard today, you know? Uh, clean a toilet, you know, open the door, cut your neighbor's grass, do something to get your body activated to being a servant. That's what I'm saying. To be lowly, to walk in humility. And I'm about to, I'm about to wrap this thing up right here. Here's what you need to know if you're going to operate in this forerunner ministry. John 3, verse 28 and 30. John said, you yourselves are my witnesses. You personally bear me out that I stated I am not the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. But I have only been sent before him in advance of him to be his appointed forerunner, his messenger, his announcer. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the groomsman who stands by and listens to him rejoices greatly and heartily on account of the bridegroom's voice. This then is my pleasure and joy, and it is now complete. He, Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. That means he must grow more prominent, and I must grow less. So listen, the spirit and the power of Elijah. I'm telling you, this is not what I heard. I'm telling you, this is what I know. The spirit and the power of Elijah that was on John the Baptist for Jesus' first coming, it is coming on the church. It is coming on you and I for his second coming. And you will be effective if you recognize that, that, just that reality, that you are sent before his second coming. God knew what he was doing when he allowed you to walk this earth this time and this season. 
He knew what he was doing. And then the second thing, you need to realize that you don't own anyone. People are not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. It says he who has the bride is the bridegroom. So and even in that, you need to know this. His happiness is our delight. And you can ask God. It's, it's a subtle shift, but it'll make a world of a difference. Like I said, when people reject you, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting him. And so while we are saddened that people don't choose him for their sake, small shift. I'm really sad that they don't choose him for his sake. For his sake. When you go to the grocery store and you buy something with your money, you pay for it and you get home to realize that that thing did not make its way in your bag. How do you feel? You paid for it. It's yours. It should be home with you and in your possession. And likewise, Jesus paid for you. He paid for them with his blood. So for us, it's not just a, well, if you want to go to hell, go to hell. It's a no. The lamb is worthy to receive the reward for his suffering. He's worthy to receive his full reward. I don't want you to be left out because I know what waits you in hell if you reject him. But at the same time, there's going to be a day where Jesus is going to cry his eyes out for every person that he says, I never knew you. I'm not acquainted. I know I read that and I know how I read it because, but I'm not Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to break his heart. You said that there won't be tears in heaven. He'll have them. I want Jesus to receive everything that he paid for, and you should too. You should want to see your relatives, your co-workers. You should want to see your children. You should want to see your, 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 your spouses, uh, your in-laws, like whoever it is. The days of us just saying, well, they're going to miss Jesus. The rapture going to come. I got food in the pantry for them. Like, no, it can't be that way. It can't be that way. Stand to your feet. You all know people that you've talked to about the Lord. I hear the Lord saying, try again. You all know people when you've tried to minister life to them and they rejected Jesus. Try again. I believe that there is a grace that is coming on the church to be voices, to cry out, prepare the way of the Lord, to cry out, behold, the bridegroom is coming.